This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Today I want to talk about the land of paradoxes. In fact, I'm extrapolating this message from a book I wrote and published in 2010 called Living Life Well, The Spirit of the Ten Commandments. Having initially taught the message of of that book for many, many years, in fact, since the 1980s, I looked back and realized that teaching that type of message, it's a never-ending process of prayer, time, and life experiences as God continually unfolds and reveals His magnificence contained in the wisdom of His Word. And at some point, I realized I was never going to finish adding to or revising this or that. I just needed to get the message out. As I look in retrospect now, I realize the message in my own life, at least, and I believe for many, many others, is far more important today than it's ever been. You know, I think we all agree that we live in a land of paradoxes. On the one hand, we see the human tendency to learn more and more about less and less. While on the other hand, we witness inclination to casually discard what previous generations have held to as of fundamental importance. Ask most Christians about the certain biblical principles of financial prosperity or the words to their favorite particular Christian song, and you're apt to receive a pretty quick reply. But ask most to name the Ten Commandments, and you're unlikely to get a correct response. Ask them to name them in order, and you're less likely still. In this generation, the search for the significant is supplanted by the glorification of the trivial. Jesus called it straining at gnats and swallowing camels. You see, the tendency for us as the church is to neglect the teaching of the Ten Commandments, and it can be attributed to the common misunderstanding that the life and ministry of Jesus did away with the commandments and replaced them with the new commandment of love and love alone. While it's true that we are justified by faith and we're not accepted by God based on our ability to keep the commandments, Jesus explicitly stated that he did not come to destroy the law of the prophets, Matthew 5.17. The Greek word translated destroy can also mean to nullify or make invalid. Jesus did not come to nullify the commandments, therefore the law must still be applicable and relevant to his church. Now let me clarify for a moment. I'm not trying to talk about some sort of external legalistic kind of piety or holiness. I'm talking about that willingness and the internal consecration of our heart to yield to the will of God, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Likewise, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So I'm not talking about to replace grace that we found, this extravagant and great grace we find in Christ, I'm talking about the fact that we also do not want to neglect the foundations and fundamentals that point us to that grace. How can we understand the fullness of God's grace if we don't understand the fundamentals of God's laws and God's commandments? Jesus is the truth and he's the law. He is grace and He is mercy. He is all these combined. He did not come to destroy, but to be the fulfillment of it, and can only be fulfilled in a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, those of us who call upon the name of the Lord. And so I believe that, in fact, it says in Deuteronomy 440, you shall therefore keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. 
and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Now, that's where I came up with the term living life well, the spirit of the Ten Commandments. One, to live well, then God is saying in his word in Deuteronomy 440, that if you want it to go well with you to have to live life well, then understand the purposes of God's statutes and commandments and his laws. Now, in the New Testament, of course, we take complicated things of the old, simplified through Christ's work on the cross and the power of the resurrection, and now we understand the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his goodness and his glory. And at the same time, we'll never be able to keep God's laws based on legalism, but based on relationship. So we understand the spirit of the intent of God's commandments and his laws. If we understand the spirit of his intent, it's really a, a direction. It's a schoolmaster. It's, a, it's pointing us to that place of a full relationship in the presence of the Lord. We want a relationship with the Lord himself. And to do so, we want to live in such a way that is honorable and is relational. You know, when you are married, you have a husband or a wife, if you, if you have a spouse, you don't say, I love you and go live like the world. You desire to say, when I say I love you, that means it means that we are one, that there is this place of admiration, honor, respect, appreciation, and not depreciation. Obviously, we all miss the mark. We all miss it all the time. But that's where the grace of God abounds in our lives. We need the abounding, great, and amazing grace of God. Now, God's promises to us is that it will go well with us if we follow his commands. Now, again, not from a legalistic standpoint. I'm not trying to say we have to get back to the law. What I'm saying is we're free from the law in sin when we have a relationship and understand the spirit of the commandments of God. So it will go well with us when we follow in his relationship. But sadly, much of the world believes the Ten Commandments of God are as irrelevant and as archaic as the stone tablets with which they were first inscribed when Moses came down off Mount Sinai, because they don't understand the spirit of relationship or the spirit by which the law was given to us. I had the pleasure of meeting and ministering with Stephen Javigian, which is the eldest grandson of Billy Graham. And we were actually ministering at a banquet in Hill Country, Texas. And, and I often hear him say this, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. This explains what we see happening more and more in our nation today and in our generation and around the world as those who have no relationship with God of the commandments have rebelled to the point of opposing any representation of them in the, in the public arena. In fact, any representation of the Lord himself even in the public arena. In response, we cry out in righteous indignation and, and justifiably so when the Ten Commandments are removed from public life. We protest when the Bible, the written word of God, is banned from public schools or the public square. And yet, the greater question remains for those of us who profess a faith in Christ, when we were upset about not being able to pray in public, but do we even pray in private? Or when the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments are taken out of public squares or out of courthouses and, and the word of God is taken out, do we even have the word of God burned in our hearts and minds? Oftentimes, we complain and we gripe about these things, and yet we don't even pray in private. We don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, and we have not taken the Word of God and written it on our hearts and minds. So I think the real question here and the real challenge to us is the importance of us reevaluating where we are as Christians and where we really are in our relationship with Him based on, not on the external, but on the inward place and posture of our hearts. When a Christian experiences adversity, for example, it's not always a result of failure to keep God's commandments, 
but a call to prayer and self-examination. I know for me, every morning, as I've shared before, I have two specific prayer times. And I want to have those moments because every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is I want to be able to, to recognize that I need the Lord to face the day. There's nothing I can do without the presence of God. There's nothing I can do and accomplish without His going with me, living in me, and living through me. Before I'll ever leave my home, and before I even leave a hotel room or wherever I may be in the world, I always have these two prayer times. Horizontal is just thanking the Lord, adoration, and appreciation. And the second one is my need time. And my need time is where I give my supplications to the Lord, saying, God, I recognize I'm nothing without you. There's nothing without you. I need you, Lord. And so that way, when I'm confronted with adversity in my life, it's a place where it brings me to my knees and I have personal prayer and inter- interaction with the Lord. Not a monologue, but I want to a dialogue. I want to not just talk to God. I want to hear from God. I hear from Him through His Word. I hear through, uh, uh, through by Him through other means, through people speaking to my life. Or there's things that come across my path throughout the day that either affirms and confirms His Word that I know is that is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, And it brings me to that place of staying on my knees and keeping a knee posture because I know without prayer and presence, there's nothing I can do. And before I can take personal inventory in any area of my life, it's essential that me as a believer has an accurate understanding of of the responsibility to obey the commandments of God. Again, not from a legalistic posture, but the spirit of the commandments of God so I understand why He gives me these commandments so I can live in protection. I can live in loving God, loving people. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first few are all about our relationship with God. The next are about our relationship with others. So we need to take evaluation of, of our own understanding and the responsibilities we have to take that understanding of God's Word and the living Word in us and being a tangible expression to those around us. But attempting to keep the commandments apart from the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit will certainly end in legalism and frustration. If a person mistakenly thinks that the commandments are not relevant for today and endeavors to please God by living in the Spirit apart from obedience in His Word— then Satan will take us captive. With the desire to please God, an understanding of His commandments, and an intimate knowledge of the Spirit and the heart of not only the law, but the lawgiver, we can each receive God's promise of a life well lived. Let me just reemphasize this again. Again, not legalism, not trying to live under some sort of uh, living under the law, but we're free from the law of sin when we have a relationship with God. In John 1.17, in the New King James Version, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's a fulfillment of the law. A thousand years before the time of Nehemiah, for example, a great mass of refugees convened in the Middle East at the base of a mountain called Sinai. Although they had witnessed awesome miracles performed by the hand of God, only Moses and Aaron had heard his voice. In the past, their forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had also heard the voice of God, Exodus 4.27. Through their testimony, this multitude of emancipated slaves recognized that there was only one God and not many gods, as other nations believed. Even though God performed mighty acts of deliverance for them, He was only known personally by Moses at that moment. 
Only Moses had been in the presence of God, and it was through Moses that God was speaking to his people. And when the people camped below at Mount Sinai, Moses ascended Mount Sinai to receive instruction from God. Moses didn't have to wait long to hear the Lord call him. He was to invite the Israelites into a relationship unlike any other, a covenant relationship with God. What an awesome privilege. And likewise, you and I are called to this covenant relationship with God. Thus, it says in Exodus 19, 3 through 6, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have, been, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. And the fact the New Testament says that we are a royal priest and a holy nation of people. See, the people of Israel had been slaves under the rule of Pharaoh of Egypt, and for well over 400 years they had suffered under the cruel taskmasters with no help that came from anyone else, and they needed help, and God, in His mercy, brought help. You see, without God's mercy, they would have remained in that condition, but at God's appointed time, He he acted unilaterally to save Israel. He raised up His faithful servant Moses and with miraculous power brought deliverance to Israel. See, this is a type of New Testament salvation. We were helplessly enslaved under the authority of sin and our own evil desires, our own self-righteousness, when in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, Jesus, to destroy the power of our enemy, Satan, on the cross of Calvary. Now, let me clarify what I'm trying to say here. God sent His Son, Jesus, to destroy the power of our enemy, Satan, And he did so through the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. The first thing God did after delivering Israel was call their attention to the fact that he was the one who delivered them from their bondage. He wanted them to recognize his willingness to humble the mightiest nation in the world in order to set them free. He wanted them to understand that without his supernatural power and intervention, the Egyptian army would have destroyed their entire people, their entire nation. He was reminding them that they owed him everything, even their lives. The Apostle Paul teaches the relevance of this truth to the New Testament church believer. When he wrote, he said, Do you not know that you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. God is saying the same thing to Christians today, I believe. He's saying, I am your God, and I have delivered you from the bondage of all the things seeking to control your life. See, He delivers us from the shame and bondage of the iniquities in our hearts. We are no longer dependent on drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, or unhealthy relational attachments. God delivers us from the need for all things other than Himself. He desires to bring us into a peace and a place of dependence and obedience to His Word, so that we can then say, because of His Word, the living Word in us, we can then say that we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, all human comprehension, and that He would guard our hearts and minds to that peace. In fact, the other 
scriptures that talk about peace says that, that peace would rule in our hearts. That's to umpire, to rule, to guide us. How many every day think, man, I just need some guidance. I need wisdom. I need direction. Well, the peace of God rules and umpires in our hearts. It guides us. It's our place of looking to God's truths and God's laws and God's word to guide us through maneuvering through the, the challenges of everyday life rather than going teeter-tottering and, and the swings of the societal pendulums of our day, we can find that place of foundations and the fundamentals and keep our focus when we're part of the plumb line of God. We're part of the plumb line of God's word to keep us stabilized in the storms of life that come around us. And we sure have a lot of those today, don't we? See, God does not deliver us from our past. He doesn't just deliver us from something without having a plan to deliver us to something better. He never intended for his people to be free of any responsibility toward their relationship with him after he delivered them from the bondage of their sin or the bondage of the, the land of Egypt. The Bible teaches us that just the opposite of this. It says in Romans 6.18, And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. We're not slaves of sin now, but we are set free from sin. We are now slaves of righteousness. In God's viewpoint, all men are slaves. The only variable being is which master or authority is over us. God delivers us from evil masters in order that we might acknowledge him as our only true master because God is looking out for us. He's looking for our good and not evil. We can trust God. We cannot trust man. We cannot trust people. People will always let us down. But the Lord will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never lie to us. He'll never dist- he'll never distort the truth to us if we're seeking Him and honoring Him and walking in relationship with Him. He is truly an honorable Lord. He is our master, the master of breakthroughs. He's the master and the Lord of our lives if we truly put our trust in Him. You know, in my book, I have a section called Let's Make a Deal. See, God had big plans for His people. He saved them with a distinct purpose in mind. No longer would they work together in another man's field or build the cities of another nation. They would answer only to God. In fact, they would be his special treasure. In the Hebrew, it's segula or prized possession. Wow. God is saying that you're no longer going to be slaves or under the bondage of nations. I want you to be my special treasure or my prized possession. The Israelites understood that God was making a claim of ownership on their lives because he had been their deliverer. But what a wonderful exchange. Not only would they be highly valued by the all-powerful creator of the heavens and the earth, God himself, they would hold exalted positions of respect to all peoples of the existing nations. In fulfillment of God's promises to the forefathers in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Israel was gathered together so they might be be offered the opportunity to become a unique, holy nation, a special people, a treasured prize belonging to God. They were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, specially chosen to function as God's representatives to the rest of the world. This offer took the form of a covenant, an agreement between God and his people that promised them this privileged status if they fulfilled specific conditions. But if the conditions were not met, God would cease to be an agent of blessing on their behalf and would allow their enemies to enslave and scatter them. Their responsibility in this covenant arrangement was to be obedient to God's commands. Now again, 
obviously in the natural realm, we cannot keep the commandments, commands of God. That's why we need Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is not the destroyer of the law, but the fulfillment of the law. We need God's abounding and great and amazing grace. God did not give the commandments to Israel right after he delivered them. The commandments of God were given to the Israelites only after they had agreed to God's gracious offer. In other words, the commandments did not have their foundation in some sterile, legalistic environment, but were communicated as a result of a covenant relationship that had been established willingly between God and Israel. The most common form of covenant relationship today is marriage. It is the most intimate and loving of all relationships and serves as an earthly example of the type of bond that God envisioned for His people. When the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, God was the knight in shining armor who slew the Egyptian dragon and gave them their freedom. After their deliverance, God continued to woo them and draw them and prove Himself to them by supernaturally supplying water, food, and direction even in the desert times. Free from their oppressors, free from their labors, free to determine their paths uh, and the lives that they would take, they were also free to accept or reject God's invitation to covenant relationship with Him, His invitation to a spiritual covenant relationship and marriage to Him. Moses relayed the invitation of covenant with God to the people, and he had scarcely finished speaking when they replied, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Israel agreed to enter into covenant relationship with God. So Moses returned him up to the mountain, brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Then God gave Moses his plan for revealing himself to the people of Israel, his self-revelation, so they might be brought to a position of faith together. He says in his word in Exodus 19.9, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. God wanted the people to hear his voice for themselves. God knew that without such a revelation of his character, the people could not fulfill their destiny as a holy nation or keep his covenant commandments. As a means of consecrating and purifying themselves for their encounter with God, the people were instructed to wash their clothes and abstain from sexual relationships. After two days of purification, the appointed day arrived when God came down upon Mount Sinai so that all the people might seek Him and hear His voice. To fulfill their destiny, they needed to know God in a way they never had known Him before. There were, however, limits to the degree of intimacy the people would experience with God. The mountain was set apart from the people by clearly defined boundaries. If any man, woman, or beast dared to trespass the established boundaries, they would be put to death. Although their relationship was to be personal, boundaries of familiarity could not be crossed. God is holy and cannot be approached by sinful man. The greater purification that one day would be provided by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. See, the morning, a thick, dark cloud descended upon the mountain with thundering and lightning. And the sound of a trumpet was heard coming from the mountain. The trumpet of God himself called his people to assemble at the base of the mountain to receive the commandments. And during this holy moment of matrimony and covenant, so to speak, the people were to get a more intimate knowledge of their bridegroom. As Moses led the people from the camp, the mountain began to shake and became a completely 
covered in dark smoke because the fire of the presence of God descended upon it. Then the Lord spoke the commandments directly to the people assembled at the, at the mountain. The account of this event is found in the book of Deuteronomy. After Moses read the Ten Commandments to the people, he declared in Deuteronomy 5.22, These words the Lord spoke to all of your assembly, in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. He added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. It is... It had always been God's intention for people to hear His commandments spoken to them. Their reaction to His voice, though, was disappointing. Exodus twenty eighteen through 21 Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You see, the Proverbs tells us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not to be afraid of God coming, especially with the grace of God in life. It's not being afraid that is, is God coming with a stick to correct us every time we do something wrong or miss the mark or, or we miss those moments of, and the iniquities of our hearts. No, God is wanting us to walk in the respectful fear of not being in His presence. God wants a people of covenant. God wants a relationship. God wants us to run to Him, not from Him. He wants us to run to Him with honesty because honesty is attractive to God, but not running to hide in that proverbial uh, fig leaf, so to speak, where we run from Him and, and cover up in fig leaves and hide from God. God wants us to come to Him and not be afraid in the sense of afraid to being. In fact, the Scripture teaches us clearly in the New Testament that we are now have access to come boldly into the presence of God because of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. So we are not to be afraid, but come into his presence. We can call him now Abba, Father, that God through Christ has now torn the veil between us. So we don't have to hide away from God or be hidden from God, but God wants us to come boldly into his presence. You see, Israel's, Israelites' reluctance to pursue a relationship with God had immediate consequences. The Bible records in painful detail how swiftly the Israelites abandoned their covenant vows. In fact, before Moses even returned from the mountain with the written commandments, the, the, the laws of God, or what we call the Ten Commandments, the people had already fallen into idolatry, worshiping gods of wood and gold. Within two generations, their enemies were defeating them and taking the land that God had given them and was taking it from them. From time to time, the nation prospered under righteous leaders who knew God, such as David and Solomon, King Josiah, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And they obeyed the commandments and embraced His covenant, but the majority of the people remained distant from Him. Consequently, for the most part, the nation never fulfilled its destiny at that time. See, during a particularly dark period of Israel's history, a group of reformers known as Hasidim, or pious people, called Israel to return to God by keeping His covenant and obeying His law. Under the direction of the Hasidim, leaders arose who revolted against the foreign powers that ruled and established their own uh, king over Israel. Their independence was short, and the nation was once again subjected to a foreign power like Rome. But the zeal for the law and covenant found in the Hasidim 
continued to exist and eventually developed into the religious sect known as the Pharisees. In today's Christian culture, the term Pharisee is a rather uncomplimentary term applied to those who have self-righteous, condescending attitudes. Consider, however, that Jesus never criticized the Pharisees just because they were Pharisees. In fact, it says in Matthew 23, 2 and 3, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. See, Jesus affirmed the Pharisees as teachers of God's law to the people. He even went on as far as to to instruct the people to obey their words. But the criticism is brought against them was that they were hypocrites. They failed to practice what they had preached. How could they have such a zeal and passion for the law, but fail to obey and please God themselves? They forgot the spirit of the commandments. They forgot the relationship. Before his conversion to Christ, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. Through the Spirit of Christ, he had come to understand that the problem was not one of passion, but of knowledge. He says in, in Romans 10, 2 and 3, For I bear them, Israel, witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to that righteousness of God. The Pharisees made the mistake of trying to keep the commandments of God without knowing the God of the commandments. They got caught up in human efforts of keeping the law without pursuing a relationship with God. Again, the spirit of the commandments who gave it to them because they did not know God. They twisted his law to avoid the need for submitting to him in relationship. When the people received the commandments at Mount Sinai, they failed to press into an intimate knowledge of God, and so they were not able to keep His commandments. Why? Because the Bible teaches that the letter of the law without the knowledge of God, which comes through the Spirit of Christ, kills. It is not possible to understand and interpret God's laws accurately without an intimate knowledge of Him. Many Christians today are defeated and live in religious bondage because they try to keep God's commandments without truly knowing the spirit of the commandments or the spirit behind the commandments. They are caught in a routine of religious activity and practice, but their hearts are cold toward God. And they are not experiencing the joy of fulfilling their true purpose and destiny. It is only in Jesus as Christians that men receive the law, the truth, and the restoration of relationship through grace and mercy that enables us to walk faithfully with God in the richness of our callings. Maybe that's where we find ourselves today, feeling defeated and caught up in routine. I want to encourage you today in Matthew 11 in the Message Translation Bible, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's go to God right now of the commandments and, and, and be renewed in our hearts and minds by Him. Only when the Spirit of the Ten Commandments are a part of our everyday lives, we truly understand the freedom and the liberty and the fullness of God's grace and mercy. I want to encourage you and challenge you today. See God and the revelation of His love as you read through the Ten Commandments next time you read them. Write them out and ponder them in light of God's love. 
Ask God for His grace to live them out in your life. And as you do, see how God brings life and restoration to areas you thought were impossible. Also, if you'd like to join me, we've been doing what we call a spiritual reset, God's plan reset. So you can go to somebodycares.org backslash reset and get a free 10-day devotional called God's Plan Reset that we've been providing, in fact, doing it on the 10 days of all, the first 10 days of the year, 5780 in the Jewish calendar, the first 10 days of, of the month of Tishri, the first 10 days of, of, of the month of Tishri, which is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, but is also was the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, the year 5780 in the Hebraic calendar. So it's a time that you can use any time, but it's a great way to reset where we are with the Lord and ask ourselves the questions and pray through some of them. So I'd like to lead us in prayer in this moment right now, and as we ask God to give us revelation of who He really is, God, I thank You that as we do live in a land of paradoxes, and so many are being swayed by the swinging pendulums in society today, and, and how confusing that can be in the chaos of the which become the norm in our world, I pray we come back to that place of the plumb line of relationship with You to that place that, that when, when the winds of life come and the storms beat vehemently and, and there's so much noise pollution out there, Lord, that in that plumb line of knowing you, it, getting into your word, understanding the spirit uh, revelation that comes upon us when we get into your written word, the living word gives revelation to us of that written word through the Holy Spirit's enlightenment and revealing the truth to us. I pray, Lord, that even as we read your Ten Commandments, that we realize it's not replaced, but it's fulfilled that as we read the Ten Commandments of old, that we begin to see you, Lord, in the midst of every commandment, and that it's a desire for you, as you've said, the greatest, the two commandments, can, two commandments can be brought, all the commandments brought into two commandments, that is to love God and love people. God, that can only happen when we recognize the importance of the parameters and the found boundaries and the fundamentals and the foundations and the focus you give to us. So I pray, Lord, you give us a renewed revelation of the work of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the amazing, great, and abounding grace of God. I pray, Lord, as we read the Ten Commandments, we would do so now with the Spirit behind the commandments, the Spirit by which you've given it to us, so we can love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and body, and we truly can be a tangible expression of your love and to love people around us and love our neighbors. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the renewed time of our own lives to renew our minds, change our hearts, change our thinking, help us to be truly a light that shines for you in a world today that desperately needs to know you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.